Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast that covers magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we're your co-hosts. And today, we're going to be covering reading your tea leaves, like the Dowager Countess of Grantham might. And uh, Shannon, what are you talking about? (laughs) I'm going to be talking about a subject that's very close to my heart, um, wine and grapevines in particular. Ooh, and I love that because I am going to be talking about, spoiler alert, I'm going to be talking about perhaps the deity that invented wine, Dionysus, a bit later on. So, uh, Shannon, we all love wine, but what is there to know about wine that we don't already know? Yeah, so I I want to start this by saying I live in California, so there are a lot of you know wineries and vineyards and all sorts of stuff out here, and I don't personally grow grapes myself. But my neighbor actually has started growing grapes. And it's been really fun because I've been working with her on like troubleshooting because she's really new to like plant growth. And so it's been really exciting. And I've actually been digging in a lot and I cannot wait. Unfortunately, you do have to wait about a year to get the first like harvest when you're when you have grapevines. So all of this work, though, has meant that I am on Stephanie's shortlist when she gets her first harvest. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I love that. And I do want to ask, since I have been to your house, are they growing it on the front side or are they growing it in the courtyard? So it's in the courtyard. She's like built up this trellis around her back patio and she's growing the vines up it. I know. It's so cute. And it's keeping all the like randos off of her back porch because there's a there's a maniacal toddler that's been wreaking havoc on a few of our back porches. So it's been a good multi We don't, uh, we don't stand the, the maniacal toddler. Now, are, 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 they, are, are they on the, the side by the big tree or are they over in the corner? They're in the corner. So not, um, not like super tucked away, but they're in like the corner next to the parking lot. This is really great radio it, right now. It, it really is because <laughs> everyone knows the layout of Shannon's apartment complex. And I'm yeah. proving that I know the layout of Shannon's right. apartment complex. I think this is just a humble brag that you've been to Park La Brea. Is, <laughs> that's what, is that what's you know, happening? I, I mean, if anyone out there is maybe, you know, maybe you're feeling a little jealous. I mean, don't feel jealous, but I have been to Shannon's house, so. It's true. It's true. And uh, not many people have been to my house in a very long time. So that's <laughs> that's a special honor. Um, but yeah, it's been so cool, though, watching them grow. And there's you know, there are some specific things you have to think about with grapevines in particular. But the reason I wanted to start talking about like the grapevines in particular is uh, grapes are actually like grapevines are listed in the Wiccan read as one of the nine woods to like burn in your cauldron. So even though like wine itself has a billion uses in your craft, I thought it was really interesting that like the grapevines are also featured in ways that I didn't realize, you know, like I'm not a Wiccan. So when I found that out, I was just like, Curious. Let's dig in. Um, classic Virgo move. So <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh, something I don't, something I don't know about. I have to investigate. And it's been, I mean, it's been really interesting. I do want to grow grapevines now, but I am on a plant pause, uh, so I can't buy any new plants at the moment. But when it's undone, I'm so excited <laughs> for spring because all of my stuff has been relegated outside, and I have some of my house plants that are just not liking it. And uh, oh, I'm yeah. just going to get some some all-year-round patio plants once spring hits. 
Mm, oh my gosh, I can't wait because once that happens, we should definitely chat because it's a lot easier to ship plants to Texas. So I can also go like check out some of our cool places that sell like succulents and cacti and send mm. them to you. Yeah, because Texas- my, my Echeveria, I mean, I love her, but there's only so many times I can propagate the same succulent into different pods. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can take some cuttings from like my string of bananas is doing super well. Um, I can't keep a string of pearls alive to save my actual life, but my string of bananas is flourishing. So I'll take that win. That was a hell of a rabbit trail, but (laughs) Um, grapevines, right? There are actually over 8,000 cultivars of grapevine and about 60 species that are found all over the globe. And there are really like three varieties that people look at when they're doing home growing. And so that is the Vetus Labrusca, which is the American grape, Vetus Rotundifolia, which is the Muscadine grape, and Vetus Vinifera, which is the European grape, which is about 90% of the cultivated grapevines are from the Vetus Vinifera family, which Vinifera, huh, wine. There we go. Vino. So Vinifera. <laughs> I'm seeing it. I I did want to say, um, living in Texas, the muscadine grape is actually uh, something that grows all over the American South. Muscadine jelly is very delicious. One mm-hmm. of the things that I actually think is very interesting about muscadine grapes, uh, and grapes in general, because you know when you grow a grape, you generally need something to grow it on, like a trellis or some kind of support to get those vines really growing up instead of across the ground. But a lot of times when you are uh, foraging for muscadine grapes, they grow on trees. They like use the trees as a natural trellis. So uh, one of my favorite trees in West Austin, which is a big, glorious old oak tree, um, actually has muscadine grapes that are intertwined with some of the lower hanging branches. And it's very lovely when they're in season to just grab one. Oh, I, I love mean, that. Of co- and of course, I would recommend, you know, don't eat produce that you don't know if it's been sprayed with pesticides or not. And I actually had the opportunity to talk to the woman whose tree that yard is in. And I know that it has not been treated with pesticides. And the squirrels love it. The squirrels do love those muscadine <laughs> Oh, grapes. my God. But just having them hang down from the tree, like you you can't beat it. You know, you'll you'll never get a fresher grape than that. I I love that you have like all of the muscadine grapes around. And it is very like it reminds me a lot, of course, like having grown up in Texas, like wild growing grapes. It's they're very different than the type of grapes that you're going to use to make like really fancy wines and stuff. But they make a good jelly. So you take take that. Um, but the grapevine family, uh, Vitaceae, is actually believed to be over 65 million years old. So, so dinosaurs were eating grapes. <laughs> it's like, basically, since the earliest days of civilization, literally like 6500 BCE, they've got evidence that it was there. And like by 4000 BCE, grape growing went all the way from like, Transcaucasia to Asia Minor through the Nile Delta of Egypt. Like it's been hugely widespread for so long. And and they think that the Hittites actually um, spread grape culture westward as they were sort of migrating to like Crete around 3000 BCE. And then of course, you know, it's like the Greeks and the Phoenicians 
the Greeks love their grapes, Phoenicians too. They extended that to China, Carthage, Sicily, Southern Italy, Spain, France, you know, under the influence of the Romans. Great production also spread throughout Europe. Um, it's really like remarkable how widespread it has been for so long. And it's, 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 re- I, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hop in here. A lot of these locations that you're listing, spoiler alert, uh, are potential locations of where Dionysus was raised. Because even the Greeks themselves coming up with these myths um, were not 100% sure. So there's a lot of different stories about where vine culture came from. And Mm. they attributed those to different places that Dionysus was raised. And I'm I'm gonna, I'm going to go over the whole thing. I'm just saying it's like it's interesting that that you're bringing up all of these locations and um that's all I'm going to say. I mean, coincidence? I think not. <laughs> I um, certainly think not. <laughs> so, I think something that I find fascinating and again, I'm a super dork, but fruit is clearly the star of the show with grapevines. So, I think we've like got to talk about plant sex for a minute and pollination um, because grapevines are hermaphrodites. So each of their tiny little flowers actually have both male and female reproductive structures. And so when a grapevine flowers, they are inflorescence flowers, which are basically these like little clusters. Um, But at the beginning of the process, uh, when the grapevine flowers uh, in the spring, the petals are actually fused together and what is known as a calyptra. And the calyptra serves as sort of a cap. It's like a little cute hat containing the oh, male I and female flower hat. parts. I know. It's like an adorable little hat that eventually just sort of like falls off. And then it liberates the pollen from the uh, the anthers of the stamen, which is the male part. And if the it's pollen the from the... dick. That's the plant dick. And if the pollen from the plant dick makes contact with the stigma or the female part, then the pollen grains, which are basically plant sperm, um, go down towards the ovary of the stigma. And, you know, when a mommy flower and a daddy flower love each other very much. And are the same flower. And are the same flower. (laughs) Then fertilization happens and grapes start to develop. So it's really cool because this is something that you don't get with all like crops that you grow at home, right? But like, because of this, you don't have to have like multiple grapevines to be able to get grapes. A lot of times with like different produce, you'll have to have like multiple plants so you can have them like pollinate each other. But like the grape plants just like, nah, man, I got this. I'll do it. Um, and I just thought that was super fascinating. So uh, don't, of- don't tomatoes do the same thing? I mean, I, I, not as far as like the the action with the flower, but aren't most tomato plants self inseminating? I believe so, to speak? so. Anyway, so grapevines can fuck themselves, make their grapes. Right? They really do like a rich, moist, well drained moderately fertile loamy soil and they're one of those plants like kind of with roses where you're gonna have to pay attention to the ph of the soil uh, they like it around like six and a half to seven which is in the acidic in the acidic range for yes pH. yeah it likes to be in more acidic soil they also need like full sun and warm summers so if you think about like the mediterranean or 
California. And then if you're going to grow multiple vines, they actually also need to be spaced out a few feet. So this is why, like when you think about all of the very delicate things that have to happen, it's like, this is why good wine is costly. And it's like why it's expensive to buy nice roses, right? There's a lot of like, care and a lot of science that goes into perfecting these things. Like a lot of fruits, grapevines are susceptible to this thing that they call replant disorder. And it's why you need to like rotate. If you're planting them in ground, you need to let some time pass before you replant in like the same soil. And this is, you know, one of the big problems we have with like massive farming, right? Like all of the depletion of the soil in the US has become like a really big problem. And, you know, it's also a huge problem if, um, like the Dowager Countess, Lady Grantham, um, you're in charge of a large estate. You do have to rotate your crops. Um, yeah. I mean. And, you know, you've got to plant something else in your vineyard when it does start to wither. Every Dowager does know that, I hear. I, You know, as a <laughs> duchess, I can confirm. I mean, I'm so glad that we have your very important perspective here and, my lady uh, you would do well you would do well to uh call me your ladyship oh your ladyship uh, i apologize <laughs> i am know, the proletariat you can, you can address me by my title thank you so much <laughs> um and it's the great thing about grapes too is like okay obviously we all know that like wine red wine in particular has some awesome like therapeutic benefits but there's you know like the therapeutic benefits of grapes themselves are also really important. You know, like they can help with things like bleeding and pain, inflammation, nausea, diarrhea, gastroenteritis, or skin diseases. So, you know, it's a bit of like, it's a a bit of a wunderkind, you know, Mm -hmm. it's doing pretty well. And of course, like I said, with red wine, it's great for like blood lipids, um, endothelial dysfunction, platelet aggregation, and basically anything that's like going to give you a heart attack. Moderated intake, which is why... Moderation, of course, is key. (laughs) Which is why red wine is not medicine for me. It is a pastime. But it is, you know, it's really good for you. And the thing that I thought was really most interesting here, though, is for a long time, vine leaves were sort of considered a waste product. You know, it's like, they were like, well, we got the grapes. Sometimes you can do stuff with like the actual vines and uh, as far as like repurposing it and stuff. But the the leaves were for a long time kind of just like, eh, whatever. But they've actually been tested now. And there's a lot of like polyphenols and other of those like really cool therapeutic compounds that make wine and grapes so powerful. They're also in the leaves. And so just to be clear here, when you talk about a grape leaf, uh, I think a lot of people don't really equate that with that's what a dolma is wrapped in. So, you know, when you go out with your little shawarma wrap, you know, your little kebab um, and you get your little side of dolmas, that's that's what you're eating it is a a vine leaf from a grape. Yeah, and they're delicious. I, oh my god, now I just want doma. Oh my god, I, <laughs> it's like I have my wine. I really wish I had like a little plate of domas here. Oh god, that does sound so good. Well, so you know, it is associated though. Grapevines are associated with nature, the underworld, and reincarnation. And then the deities associated with the vines are actually numerous and include our boy Dionysus that we'll get into oh, later. Shit. Bacchus, uh, Venus, Aphrodite, Apollo, and Osiris. We're going to have to do Osiris at some point, but I'm like, Osiris might need to just like be an episode because that is a deep, 
deity to get into. Oh my god, you know what? Well, and then it's like the symbolism of Osiris is like its own thing as well. Yeah, it's so fascinating. So grapevines are considered a feminine if we're looking at the gendered. It's ruled by the moon and the element is water, which I think really makes sense if you're thinking about the fruit too. It's like grapes are basically little balls of delicious water. Delicious water. Um, <laughs> delicious water and considering it can like self fuck and procreate it's not surprising that it's magical associations like promote fertility but also things like death and rebirth is like the cycle and garden magic and money was one that i saw a lot too so it's like i could definitely see putting some grapevine like on your altar if you're trying to do like some spell to help increase your wealth and like I said, they are, they're included in the Wiccan Reed as one of the nine woods to burn in the cauldron. So grapevines have a lot of, you know, magical connotations in and of themselves. And wine is also, though, our best friend. Mm-hmm. And it's a great, a great thing to do an offering with. Um, so when you, when you say that the magical associations are, uh, I are just picking one out here, death and rebirth. Do you think that like ties in to the astrological association with Scorpio and the eighth house with death and rebirth. I just kind of want to make like an impromptu case here that as Plutonic Scorpios, you and I both love wine. There could be something there. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I'm sure it's that and not that we're just a bit of winos but no 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 <laughs> it's right it's it's our pluto and scorpio that's what it is it's because we have pluto it's, and scorpio it's and not scorpio our traumatic childhoods loves wine <laughs> think about that how do you it know does. a scorpio who doesn't love wine no i just drank wine uh out, outside socially distanced with one of my good friends who is a scorpio for her birthday last night. And she hated it, right? She loved every second. Nick, I think you, I mean, you solved it. Does that end the podcast? Did we just like figure out why we all like wine? Scorpios love wine. Wands and bonds is over. Um, (laughs) Thanks for coming. Um, I I think that one of my favorite things that I saw actually was someone used grapevines in their, in their basum to, you know, basums are, they're basically like little magical brooms. You don't like do real house cleaning sweeping with them, but you can like clean your altar. And of course, there's all sorts of things that go into making basem. And we could do an entire segment on that. But using the grapevine sort of as, you know, the the sweepy part in the basem. You know, I, I, I would say if you're doing a basem, um, sweep the edge of your tub in it. I mean, I know we already did a whole episode about mm. bath magic. But if you take the time to make one and you are doing manifestations of relaxing energy in your bath, you know, you could just, you know, you already have to clean, you know, you get your little hairs and stuff on the edge of your bath. I don't know about you. I always get a little stray hair on there and uh, clean that. Yeah. I mean, there's always cat hair on the edge of my bath (laughs) because one of my cats uh, likes to hang out in there. That's like his chill zone. Is it Ivan or Samson? I do have to It's Ivan. It's Ivan. Ivan is Oliver obsessed with the does tub. the same thing. I swear because they're the same cat. They are the same cat. Again, we've never seen them in the room together. I've never. We have never seen them in the same room together. <laughs> oh my God, we're supposed to be talking about. We're supposed. We're supposed to be talking about grapes. And well, I, I'm. I am literally. I am miss sidetracked today because I 
took the Dionysus part of this episode quite seriously, and I have had a few glasses of wine. (laughs) Well, it's appropriate. So I did, I was just obsessed with the idea of using them in your basin, though. And they, you know, with that idea of like fertility and, you know, I think things that are associated with fertility, you often see money because it's like fertility is not just like getting knocked up, right? It's also like having abundance and like being fertile in other areas, maybe outside of the womb. And so, you know, putting that in your basin. You know, and I I do just want to say, if you are looking to buy fresh grape leaves to do something like that, non-culinarily related, um, a really good place to get grape leaves is a halal market. So I know in LA, there's a lot of halal markets. I know in Austin, there's a lot of halal markets. But in most cities in America or most urban centers, you can find a halal market and you can get fresh grape leaves in the grocery section there or the oh, produce yeah. section I mean, there, I should say. So I think that kind of wraps it up. I mean, as far as using wine in your craft, I think like leaving it out for offerings, you know, red wine is a very common offering to like Hecate, um, you know, pouring one out for the homies. Also, I have sometimes seen people suggest like if there's like an old school spell that talks about like needing blood, uh, wine is a great substitution for that if you're not into bleeding yourself. Before we move on, though, I would say anyone who's listening who lives in the Deep South, foraging for muscadine is a very fun thing to do. But I will say, um, because they do trellis themselves on other people's trees, you do want to be careful. But I would encourage anyone who lives in the appropriate region... Go forage for some muscadine. It makes a great jam. It makes a good wine. And it's something that we, that we here in the States can go forage for. So, Yeah, just don't be a dick about it if it's on other people's stuff, like Nick said. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. <laughs> okay, so now I'm so excited to talk about this questionable witchy practice thing that I found because I was cackling like a crazy person when no, I read when you, this article. When you send this to me, I was at work and I was fucking dying. And everyone was like, <laughs> what? And I was like, I, it's literally so hard to explain, but would you put, <laughs> would you put nutmeg in your armpit for, for a couple of days and uh, drink it? <laughs> God, so this website, uh, literally darling, I found this amazingly hilarious article by this woman, um, Kaylin Anderson, on like bad love spells. And this is my new favorite bad love spells. So the recommendation is you start mm. with a whole nutmeg and you put it under your armpit and you hold it there for at least 48 hours. How do you keep it there? Do you never raise your arms? That thing's going to get dropped a bunch. Uh, Once you've had those like two days to get that nutmeg all like sweaty and gross and there's like fuzz stuck to it from the inside of your sweater, you grind the whole ass thing up and then you add it all to a bottle of wine that you then serve to the target of your love spell. (laughs) Oh, no. And and this is is like mold wine, though, right? I I think that was the thing that we we do need to mention because it's not... um, just straight up armpit nutmeg. You're cooking it into the wine. Is that right? Well, it was unclear. I would hope that you did. But 
Either way, mold wine or not. Um, well, because I'm like mold wine would bring the smell out, and you, it's almost like you don't want that. But then it's like, at least if you mold the wine, it would be a little more sanitary. So I, it's a lose lose situation, and that's why this is our QWP of the week. <laughs> also, the the funniest thing I've read in a long time. Um, because I, I do think like a mold wine spell is awesome, and like. It's a great thing to do for like an anniversary or something, right? Like make some mold wine with like good intention. But like, you know, we always talk about like consent. Like that's the name of the game. Uh, feeding your weird armpit nutmeg to somebody is like without their consent is like, first of all, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> but also like consent, consent, consent. And I'm so sorry. Like if if I am shitting on this and it happens to be like a very important spiritual part of somebody's practice, please let me know. No, no. And I, 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 <laughs> I, I want to throw in here that like the questionable witchy practice is very much a, an opinion segment. Like yes, it's something yes. that we personally think Nick and Shannon is a bit wacky, you know, but yes, I'm sure if it's sacred to you, let's just say that if it's sacred to you, because that is, that is the core of the craft. And, and I think that's something that's like, everyone needs to realize that like, what is sacred to you is actually sacred. Exactly. But you should, you should probably get consent before you put your armpit nutmeg. In someone's mold wine. Yeah. I just think that we can say Wands and Fronds is staunchly pro-consent, especially regarding armpit nutmeg. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> so, that's it. That was it. I just like, it was the funniest thing I've ever read. Again, it's like a great alternative is like, do make like a delicious mold wine with like lots of intention and like cinnamon for like heat and vitality and like nutmeg and like black peppercorns and all these like sexy spices and like pour intention into it and then like let your partner know that it's a sexy mold wine. Because also like that's going to be way hot. It's like mad hot oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to have like a potion together essentially. Okay, so, so speaking of heat. I want to talk a little bit about orgies. I want to talk a little about about being drunk. I want to talk about Dionysus. What do you think? I was about Shannon? to say. I was going to say. Are you going to talk about Dionysus or what you did last Tuesday? <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, for this week's deity profile, uh, I'm going to be going over one of my personal favorites. Shannon, you know this. I mean, I actually, I will say, I more personally connect to. Bacchus, because that was the first introduction of, uh, because Bacchus is the Roman version of Dionysus. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, like, that's where my head goes. Like, I always think of, like, Bacchanalia, but. Well, yeah, I I was about to say Bacchanalia is, like, if you want to talk about sexy hedonism, Bacchanalia comes to mind. And also, I mean, I just have to say, it's like, if you hang out with me, that's a little mini Bacchanalia. I mean, I'm drinking wine right now. Let me just... Is that loud enough? Do you think? <laughs> yeah, that was that was some hot ASMR. Okay. Cool, we cool, just cool. lost like all of our listeners, but I love it. Worth it. So, um, I think it would be <laughs> safe to say here that even though I'm a gay man in my 20s, I'm <laughs> absolutely a wine mom at heart. And so, in that spirit, I would like to tell you a little bit about my guy, Dionysus, a.k.a. Bacchus. And um, so, GreekGodsAndGoddesses.net, which is a real website, everyone should check out. 
do a little research if you like. Um, says that Dionysus was the Greek god of wine, wine making, grape cultivation, Ooh. fertility, ritual madness. Mm. Oh, I love that. Theater, very <gasps> dramatic, and religious ecstasy. And it's uh, pretty easy to see how one would achieve religious ecstasy with all that delicious wine around. And so I know I, it's like those all go together, like yes, winemaking, ritual do. madness, religious ecstasy. Like, hell yeah, that sounds like a party. It's like the different phases of a fun night, right? <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Um, so it's. It, the Roman name was Bacchus. And so, I mean, if you read the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, Bacchus shows up on his little donkey or whatever several times. Um, and that's, you know, it's a bit of a Christian interpretation of what Bacchus is. But I know he's it's there. like speaking of Christians ruining things. <laughs> um, so you, a lot of you will know him from that. But a lot of people will be familiar with the term Bacchanalia, which... You know, they think of as like this wine-fueled orgy, which it 100% is. But there are um, other aspects of it as well. You know, so Dionysus was the god of wine. But they say he also invented wine. What a guy. And uh, worship of Dionysus in Greece may have started... As early as about 10,000 before the Common Era. 10,000 years before the Common Era. Uh, Holy Because fuck. wine was literally the only thing that people had to do for fun. So, it was a big deal. <laughs> yeah, much like 2020. Um, it's very popular. And um, he was one of the Olympians. was one of the OG Olympians. So, there was 12 Olympians. And um, Dionysus was the 12th. Um... And because he was the 12th, among many other reasons, he's often kind of framed as an outsider. And he's also a bit of a shapeshifter. So the early stories, depictions, and uh, even mosaics of Dionysus show like an old bearded man with a, like a wizard robe and a fennel staff topped with a pine cone and then later on he's androgynous and naked and young and it's like we i just i stand so hard because first we stand androgyny like fuck Hell you yeah. just a person don't have to be a dude or a lady like that's a really cool idea but also i think it's interesting because you were saying that grapevines are hermaphrodites. They are indeed. That's amazingly perfect. And so it's interesting that the god of wine went from being a, an, a grizzled old wizard man <laughs> to, to being like Gandalf an, to this like androgynous hermaphrodite. And I think, I think honestly think that's a little more appropriate because grapes are hermaphrodites. I mean, you know, who would have thought? Um, and okay, he's got a really interesting origin story too. And oh my god! So I, I before I even get into this, I just want to say 
Uh, I saw this meme. It's not my meme. But they were talking about how one of the biggest cons that did Disney ever did was convincing people that Harrow was this maternal, caring figure. And <laughs> yeah, it's like, what a twist, Disney. What a twist. Um, so just I'm just going to put a, put a little pin in that. Um, so Dionysus was the son of Zeus and a mortal woman called Semela. And she was a princess of Thebes, but of course, Hera got jealous. So again, you know, watch this space with the deity profiles in later episodes when we're going over the kind of the history of the gods because Hera is a jealous bitch. She's, yeah, she's, she's not fun. She's not fun, and she's not Hercules' mom from the Disney movie. So just you know, just um, keep that in mind. Um, so she was so jealous that she convinced Simula to demand that Zeus revealed his true form. And so, as we all know, that when you look at the true form of a god from Mount Olympus, you burst into flames and die. And um, so she died. And But, the, but there was some very quick thinking on Zeus's part to rip the living baby out of the dead, burned mother. Um, and so... Like sewing, like little sewing project. I was like, uh, yeah, in, like with like a needle and thread. Mm-hmm, with a needle and thread into his thigh, Ooh, the fetus ow. of Dionysus, so that he could finish cooking on Zeus's thigh. Which, um, you know, if you learn anything from this episode, people, thick thighs save lives. Save lives, literally save so, lives. Um, only to be born again, finally, um, as. Dionysus. So that's really cool. Um, and one of the common nicknames that they had for Dionysus was Demetor or Twice Born. And so, mm. of course, this baby could not be made, raised on Mount Olympus because Hera is a psycho. So the obvious answer is, and I think, you know, anyone would do this in the same situation, they would send him to Mount Nysa. To be raised by the rain nymphs, the Nysiads, and the old oh satyr god Silenos. I'm so jealous. I just want to have been raised by rain nymphs. Right. Well, I mean, so apparently on Mount Nisa with the Nysiads and the the, uh, the old satyr god Silenos, um, he grew up away from Mount Olympus because a lot of the demigods grew up in the mortal realm like Perseus, et cetera, et cetera. But Dionysus grew up with these rain nymphs. And there's the idea that, like, his mother burst into flames when she looked upon the visage of Zeus. And then, so he was born in fire, but raised by water. And so one of the interesting things about that is that volcanic soil is the uh, sort of ideal soil for getting the right flavor out of a grapevine. Yeah, it's perfect. Born in fire, raised by water, the rain nurtures the grapevine and brings Ooh. it to fruition. And uh, so the we see a lot of parallels between the care of the plant and the legend, the myth of Dionysus. So he's on Mount Nysa. And just... There's a Hescius uh, uh, of Alexandria, which was what the Babylonians called him later on. 
um, had a list of possible locations for this mountain, which is a mythical mountain and one that maybe was made up. Um, Arabia, Ethiopia, Egypt, Babylon, the Red Sea. All those places we were talking about grapevine spreading. Mm -hmm. So he grew up with the radonyms and then was an adult. And uh, then he invented wine. Like the best bro of all time. The best bro of all time, which is cool enough. But he also taught other people how to do it. So really just such a real one. But it's not all wine and orgies. Bacchanalia, anyone? You're invited. Um, There's also the lasting cultural impact of Greek theater. And Greek theater was in honor of Dionysus. So the original tragedies and comedies were presented at festivals in Dionysus's honor. So, you know, like... Every movie you've ever watched, every play you've ever seen, traces its lineage back to a festival for a guy who invented wine. Nick, that means that Dionysus is responsible for our friendship. Where did we meet? We did meet in theater class. Oh my god. This isn't like adding a whole new level to this, and I I don't think I can handle it. My (laughs) mind is blown right now. My mind is blown right out. That's insane. The comedy tragedy masks, you know, those were like, yeah, um, it's all Dionysus. So, you know what? A lot of it is wine and orgies, though. And that's what I love about Dionysus and Bacchus. It's so chaotic. It's so wild. It's so, 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 so fun. And, you know, I I think you would know this, but I, I mean, if I ever disappear into the mist... I've probably either joined or started my own Dionysian wine cult. And uh, you'll never see me again. Or hear well, from me the again. listeners won't. I was about to say, I'm going to be there, though. I yeah, am coming yeah, yeah. along. You'll, 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 you'll come along. You'll come <laughs> along. Um, and, you know, that's that kind of kind of brings us in to... So we kind of almost have like a little beverage theme going with this episode. And... We did also want to talk about reading tea leaves. Which I so, love. I'm literally drinking tea right now. Not the right type of tea, but I am drinking, drinking tea. I'm drinking wine. This is so appropriate. That's perfect. I've got my uh, my slippery elm bark tea, which helps when you're congested. So A plus plus recommend that. But Nick, how do you read tea leaves? How do you do it? Okay, so um I do just want to start off on tea leaf reading that I have to insist that if you're interested in reading tea leaves, you're gonna need to buy some loose leaf tea. And this will not work with a bag tea. And I would not recommend matcha. Um, You can do it with coffee or very sediment heavy wine. And that is part of the craft. But I mean, it would have to be really sedimenty wine. You know, like this is not yellowtail Merlot time. Like, (laughs) <laughs> like this is some some aged wine with a good amount of sediment I, honestly i just wouldn't do it with wine because leafy tea tastes better than sedimenty wine um but you don't you absolutely do not have to go super fancy with it and i know like i live in a larger city and you live in la which is 
one of the biggest cities, but if you go to the Asian market, I mean, they have these in almost every city in America. You get the little, uh, you know, the little tin of of loose oolong tea, and it's it's very kind of dry and brown, and it tastes like hoochicha, mm-hmm. but uh, it's very good. Okay. I mean, I love I, oolong. I drink it every morning. Oolong is my morning tea. So. Same. Like, oolong is my go-to tea. Like, if I just have to have one, I'm going to have oolong. If we're reading tea leaves, though, you know, you do want something leafy. So, I'm also going to say, I'm not even going to say, I'm going to insist. Don't get out your fancy micro strainer that you use for your loose leaf tea just for everyday consumption. Because you actually, you want it to be leafy. You want leafy tea. So use your cheap, just like mesh strainer, or use one of those pots that that has the little ceramic holes, because that's going to be just the right amount of leaf to get through in my personal experience. I was going to say too, Nick, if you were doing like maybe a tea that doesn't get quite, you know, that's maybe not quite as large, could you do it with like a grandpa style cup of tea or is that too much tea leaf? It's too much. And I'm so glad you asked that question because that's way too much. You're not going to get any kind of coherent symbols Mm, of like a grandpa style tea because it's really about the shapes that the dregs make. Ah, oh, that's, that's really interesting. I actually like, I have not read tea leaves before, so I'm very, I'm learning a lot right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. And then I just, you know, I know I'm just going on and on here, but this is also not the time if you're drinking tea to dip a cookie or a biscuit in because you, you, you just want the leaves to be swirling around in there. You don't want little cookie crumbs or, you know, Uh, um, so I, I can't use my, uh, I, I literally just made a giant batch of dark chocolate cherry biscotti. I got to save those for later, you're saying? Uh, you save those for coffee. Or you save those for, save those for your second steeping. Mm. Uh, it is loose leaf tea. That's one of the pleasures of loose leaf tea is that you can steep it again. Um, not for this one, though. And actually, it is mm. best to do this on the first steeping because that's when you're going to get all the little pieces of leaf in your cup. So... We've kind of gone over the basics here. But after that, if you do it all right, it really is just as easy as drinking a cup of tea. And um, you, I would also recommend, I personally use, because I am the Dowager Countess uh, Lady Grantham, <laughs> um, like a teacup with a saucer, because usually they do fit together when you flip the cup over. But if you have a little dessert plate, with your china set or whatever, you know, just like you don't need a big plate, just a little plate big enough to flip your cup over onto. So you drink your cup of tea, which is delicious, but maybe a little leafy. And you're you're going to focus on some areas of your life that maybe need some clarification. And so this is going to be a little bit different from tarot, where you can ask a specific question. And I think that's a very important distinction to make because this is more looking for signs than getting an answer to a question. It's like the the tea leaves will tell you what you need to be focusing on. Yeah. But the tea leaves will the tea leaves will warn you about the black dog in your future, Harry Potter. Right, right. Yes, yes, Harry Potter. <laughs> um but it's uh you you know you don't want to ask about anything like super specific because 
that that's what will jump out is like, what do you need to be focusing on? But so, so maybe there's some areas of your life that need a little clarification, like, like generally speaking, you know, like what are you concerned about? What are you curious about? What do you not have a hundred percent of the information about? And, you know, think about all of that, like let it stew while you're drinking your tea You've got your hands on the cup. You're infusing the energy of your query into your cup of tea. And I mean, other than that, you know, it's really just, you're just having a cup of tea. And you can have a cookie on the side. No one's going to stop you from that because I do like a cookie with my tea. So, uh, uh, (laughs) but I will also say, so I think, Sort of the expectation here is that I would just do like a list of what the symbols mean. And I'm 100% not going to do that. And I actually read a really interesting thing in an article about tassiography. Um, and it was like a horseshoe to one person represents good luck because a horseshoe is in some cultures a symbol of good luck. But if your beloved horse had just died, what does that mean to you? It does not mean good luck. So I just want to say, because symbolism is such a personal thing, that you really want to observe the whole thing and see what jumps out. And then... Yeah, it's you got to trust your intuition. You have to trust your intuition. What does that particular symbol mean to you? And I, there are several, several, several good books about tissiography out there. And... You know, buy one. If this is like something that you're actually interested in pursuing on that level, for sure buy one. But I will also say that a good resource that you could look at and something that every paperback used bookstore in any town, at least here in America, is going to have is like a dream encyclopedia. Oh, Oh, that's a great idea. So, you know, like your your typical dream encyclopedia just gives you a little bit of an explanation of symbols, including shapes, which is what you're going to find when you're looking at your tea leaves. So, if you can't get your hands on a, tea, a proper tea leaf reading book, get like a dream encyclopedia and just look up what the symbols mean. But also, what do the symbols mean to you? Because I think in in different cultures, different symbols mean different things, right? It kind of reminds me of like all of the best advice I've seen about reading tarot. It's like you should always read through the book once. But mm-hmm. then in particular, when you're doing personal readings, it's like it's good to have an idea of what the cards meant, you know, to the person who is creating them and in historical perspectives. But at the end of the day, you are the witch here. Right. It's like you, your thoughts are very important and very valid. And in divination, they're also like the key piece of the puzzle. Speaking of being the witch, though, I do just kind of want to go over the practical aspects of it here. So you're drinking your cup of leafy tea. You get down to less than the very last sip. Like you really just want enough to give it one last swirl and then flip it over. And you can do that. I mean, I use teacups with saucers because I'm a very fancy bitch. But you could also use a dessert plate. You could use a regular plate. Or any flat surface that you're willing to dump tea leaves on is fine. 
but you get the last sip, you swirl it, you flip it over, and you want just want to give it a few seconds so that all that liquid can drain out. And you flip it back over, and you look for those symbols. And I actually, I saw a really interesting thing when I was doing the research for this as well. That was saying that, you know, a handle, a teacup handle facing your dominant hand left or right, that you can look at it as the wheel of the zodiac as well. Oh, I love that. So, like, the top being Aries, and then, you know, right being Cancer, bottom being Libra, and then left being Capricorn. And so, the, the different sections of the cup, when you hold it like that towards yourself, might represent people. And I even saw a lovely teacup that was already like fully designed with the wheel of zodiac in it oh my god that also that sounds like the perfect like holiday gift for the witchy person in your life like that with like a little dream book with it yeah yeah, yeah. doesn't that sound nice that sounds so lovely oh my god and so like i love I said, this i do i like you know i could sit here and i could just like list what the different symbols mean but that's not gonna be that's not gonna be helpful for anyone except myself because different symbols mean things to me. And you know, it's like one of the big ones is like arrows mean news. And you know, it's like um the the moon represents maybe a a, a person who has the sign of cancer, your mother, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it I mean like something like the shape of moon can have different meanings depending on the context. And I will also say, and and this is kind of sort of my end of tea leaf reading, is that um, one of the things that does come up again and again when you're doing research on tea leaf reading is that it is a lot like rune reading. So like different symbols being closer together, further apart. Also, if you think about it as the Wheel of Zodiac, like if they're in opposition to each other, if they're quote unquote square to each other, you know, like if they're right next to each other, if they're far apart from each other, it changes sort of what the symbols mean. Like yeah. a symbol on its own means one thing, but a symbol next to another symbol, it's like giving it a whole new context. And that's so personal to you. Yeah, it's the same the thing reader. with tarot cards. You know, it's like with tarot, you know, the different cards in a spread they relate to each other and they shift the meaning right. by them being there together. And so speaking of tarot, I did the tarot scope this week, Shannon. <gasps> I know. Who and are I, we talking to? So I, I had sent you the pictures. And so I know you know this, but, um, and actually, you know, I think towards the end here, I think this is a good time to let people know that we're actually recording this episode and the next episode back to back because of the Thanksgiving holiday here in the States. Um, but so I actually did these tarot spreads or these tarot. It's not a spread. It's a single card draw. I did these back to back and I thought it was really funny that for this week I got Gemini, which is shout out to my friend Albert, who is a listener and also a Gemini. So my mom, who is a Gemini, Oh, of course, Karen is a Gemini. Oh, you know Karen's a Gemini. But no, no, no. Um, and, you know, 
this will be a little spoiler for the next episode, but um, Mercury is going to come up again. So if you know about astrology, you know who's next. Um, <laughs> but uh, so this week we had Gemini with the Eight of Swords, which was in the upright position, I'll have you know. Um, and that represents negative thoughts, self-imposed restrictions, imprisonment perhaps, and uh, sort of a victim mentality. And so if you look at the Rider Waite deck, which is like the, the original deck that has, I think, sort of the best symbolism that helps you learn what the tarot means, there is a woman. She's tied up. She's blindfolded and she is surrounded by swords that are like stuck in the ground. She's like trapped by swords um, and uh, there's a pool of water at her feet. So the idea here is that you're sort of playing the victim. You're restricting yourself. And, and I, would, I would drive home here that it's, it's unnecessary it's uh you're you're doing too much to hold yourself back and you are the one that's holding yourself back and one of the meanings that people read into the pool of water at her feet is is that her intuition could guide her if only she was open to seeing the truth and so my message mm. out there with this telescope this week to the Geminis is that you should trust your intuition because it can guide you if you will be open to seeing the truth. I love that. So I think that's all we have for this week. And it's, it's funny. I feel like we're on like family feud because we're going to do next week, but it's just going to be in a few minutes. I know it's going to be fun. It'll be good, but this has been, it's been a lot of fun today, Nick. And I want to, of course, thank everybody for listening. We would love to hear from you. You can get us on Instagram at wands and fronds pod. And then our email address is also wands and fronds pod at gmail.com. So send us a message. Let us know and how so you're doing. Shannon, you know, the holiday season's coming up and I think there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff jumping up in people that maybe they've been repressing. I just want to say, like, I have a very severe addiction. And I mean, this is this is kind of tough for me to say, but uh, I'm I'm addicted to stars. And so if anyone out there is listening to this and they just want to be very generous and give us some stars, preferably five, if that's the top number, uh, on wherever you're listening, um, do that. Because I'm gonna rob a convenience store for stars. If it's ripping this podcast apart. He needs stars. I need stars. So <laughs> it's, awesome. it's, like, well, it's like Mario Party. Like on a <laughs> oh different God, level. Party. Like I'm I'm gonna come to your house. If I don't get them, I will I I, I mean I get what I want. So I'm gonna come to your house. I'm gonna get your stars <laughs> if you don't give them to me voluntarily. Well, you've you heard it here first, <laughs> folks. Nick is coming to your house, stealing your stars. I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to steal your stars. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you, everybody. I guess until next time. Blessed be bitches. Blessed be bitches. Goodbye. Mm, I know. 
the stords, stords, swords.